0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Do you do that in your own personal life? Do you pray before you... it's It's a good habit. Before you turn to the Word, even in your own quiet time, just pray. Ask God, God, show me. I quiet the things in my head and speak to my heart. It's a good habit to get into. Um, but hey, I want to talk about origin stories. Origin stories. You know what an origin story is? It's, it's a phrase commonly used like around, around characters and literature. A lot of times you use this in uh, like comics. An origin story is this. The origin story is the story of an event or a series of events that change the direction of a person or a character's life causing them to be who they are today, right? So the origin story is, is how I got to become who I am, right? It's, it's Bruce Wayne's parents get murdered. It's Peter Parker bit by a radioactive spider, right? It's these, it's these, these moments that shaped who they are. But in any origin story, you, you'll know, whether it's in comics or storylines or narrative, whatever, though part of the story, and it's a significant part of the story, hinges on a particular event, the full transformation of that character rarely happens in the blink of an eye. There's a process that every character, there's a process that every hero must go through in becoming who he or she was meant to be. Okay. So the process is really about not just the event that's significant, what happened that triggered something that changed them, but, but it's really how they responded to the experiences following the event. That's the part that's really significant, right? Bruce chooses to avenge his parents' death and become a nocturnal crime-fighting vigilante and becomes Batman, right? I mean, he could have lived in a perpetual state of fear and anger and become a hermit, but he didn't. It's how he responded to the events following what took place. Peter decides to embrace the responsibility of the newfound power and purposes of his life for the good of others. And he could have just done sweet tricks on camera and become a social media influencer. But he didn't, right? And listen, I'm not trying to be cheesy, right? I'm not being like, go be a superhero, right? Like That's not the, that's not the goal. What I want to look at is, is like what happens in these origin stories because I believe that God has an origin story for all of us. Right, as believers, we have, we, we all share, like if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've surrendered to him, if you've made him the Lord of your life, if you've invited him into your heart, whatever lingo you want to put on it, if you've begun a relationship with God by turning from your old life and living for him, we all have this shared moment, this shared starting point, this shared catalytic event that changes the, the, the rest of our lives. It's called salvation, Right? There's this moment that 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 we can't be the same after this. But have you ever looked at that, just in general, and just been like, I see some people who at salvation, like it literally changes the entire trajectory and direction of their life. I say trajectory because some people would get saved as a, as a child. They could have gone this way, but maybe they didn't like drastic life change, but the The course of their life drastically changed, right? There's some people who who this this radical transformation, and everything is different. And then other people just like go to church. The same event, but there's different outcomes because our Christian life. Our origin story, it's not just about the one moment of salvation, that one moment that you prayed a prayer. It's about everything that comes after it. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, and and really what this is all about is it's it's Paul's origin story. Okay? So let let me just, for a point of clarity, I say it's Paul's origin story. Maybe you're already there, and you're like, it doesn't say Paul. It says this guy named Saul. Here's part of his story. You know, um, a lot of people, and I've heard this as well, that like God changed Paul's name from Saul to Paul. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. It's not actually in the Bible that he did, so we don't know exactly, but we know this, that Saul is referred to as Saul up until the story now, and it's referred to Saul after he gets saved, and then it's he's referred to as Saul in chapters 11 and in 12 and in the beginning of chapter 13, and then Acts chapter 13 verse 9, it says Saul, who was also called Paul, and for the rest of the time it's referred to as Paul. So, I'm going to use that back and forth. Some people will think God changed his name, which is possible. God's kind of in the business of that. Like he went Abram to Abraham and Jacob to Isaac and Simon to Peter. Like that's the thing that God does sometimes. There's also a possibility that, that that let's say there's a guy named Jim and he had a horrible past and he gives his life to God and he's like living a lot. He's like, I want a clean, fresh start. I'm going to go by James now. That's kind of the impression that we get, okay? So here we have Saul, Saul, Paul, however you want to refer to him. We're going to go back and forth on it. But so far, what we've seen in the story is that Acts chapter 7, the end of, like one of the last verses in Acts chapter 7, and the first verse of Acts chapter 8 is all that we've learned about Saul so far. And, and what it said was this is that when everybody went to go stone Stephen, those of you who were here a few weeks ago, you remember that. When everybody went to go stone Stephen, uh, everybody like, let, let Saul hold his, their coats. He was the coat guy. And he was holding on to the coats while giving approval. Of the stoning of Stephen. That's all we know about him so far. a young man. He's an up and comer. We learned from his other letters that, that Saul was this up and comer who was like the top of his class. He was like the most zealous. He was learned under the highest level of education. He was the who's who in that day in Judaism. Like he was a Pharisee. He was everything that he kept the law perfectly, he was super zealous. In fact, in my own Bible reading this 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 week, I was reading through Deuteronomy, and it actually talked about the law where it says if if any uh, Jews, if any of your people try to convince God's people to go serve other gods, that the the the, the penalty is death. Saul's so like, yeah, it is death. Jesus isn't God, so let's kill anybody who worships worships him. This was this is his mindset. Okay, so that's that's what sets us up. So we're just gonna we're just gonna journey through this story here. And look at Paul's origin story. We know Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote like the majority of the New Testament. But here, before that, we get this murderer, murderous, anti Jesus zealot. Let's see what happened. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he went to the high priest and he asked, Him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is how they describe people who follow Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them out of their home from Damascus as prisoners and drag them off to Jerusalem. But as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? "Uh, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, and and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. That's interesting. Three days he's blind. Sometimes we read, like, time statements in the Bible, and we breeze right past them because we can read it so quickly. We forget, like, like, this event happened. Well, then he went into town. And could you imagine, like, day one, like, wait, I'm still... Day, two, day three, he's going, like, is this my new life? What's going on? Well, meanwhile, verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told, told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. This is interesting. The only description that God gives to Ananias is that he's praying. He doesn't bring any of his old baggage into it. He just says, like, there's this guy. I want you to go to him. This, yeah, there's a guy. I'll tell you where to find him. This is what he's doing. He's praying. That's all you need to know right now. It says, in a vision, he sees a man. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hand on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Do you ever talk like that to God? God's like, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. And you're like, yeah, God, but you don't understand. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the gentiles and their kings and to the people of israel i will show him how much he must suffer for my name this is interesting this is an interesting little tidbit at the end there right like i'm just picturing this and maybe this isn't right so this is just me my crazy brain wandering right like and I'm like no no no, not him i don't want to go to him and god's like no go and you're like uh. this man is my chosen instrument. Yeah, still, but to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Oh, but God, and their kings and to the people of Israel. Uh, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. All right, I'll go. (laughs) Anyway, that's just my own interpretation. It's probably not true, but. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All right, let's, let's, let's explore this text a little bit. Here's something that really struck me, and honestly, it's the thing that made me think about like, from the perspective of, of an origin story, is, is this reality that when, when Ananias went and he found Saul, he was no longer Saul the persecutor they had feared, but not yet the Apostle Paul that we know today. He's no longer who he once was, but not yet walking in the full potential and calling that God had on his life. Anybody identify with that? He was no longer who he once was, but but he was not yet walking in the full potential and the full calling that God had on his life. Honestly, I believe that it's the tragedy of many Christians today that we live and die in Acts 9. We live and die in that place of no longer but not yet. I'm no longer who I once was, but I'm also really not yet walking in the full potential and the calling that God has on my life. So what I want to explore today is like, how did, how, did, how did Paul move, Saul move, Paul, whatever you want to call him. How did he move from being a persecutor to an apostle? And you know, I really believe that it is largely due to, to how he responded in the critical moments following his encounter with Christ. Listen, Acts doesn't end in chapter 9. There's more. In case you were wondering, there's more chapters left. Acts doesn't end in chapter 9. There are 19 more chapters. And guess what? Paul's name shows up in 18 of those chapters. The only one that Paul's name doesn't show up in is chapter 10. And you know what he was doing in chapter 10? He left for 3 years to go study and spend time with Jesus so he could be well equipped for the mission that God was going to call him to for the rest of his life. So right now he's in this he's in this no longer but not yet stage of life, and yet God is calling him to a life of significance. God is calling him to more than, not really more, but really a new direction altogether for what he has. Like, here's the deal. Too many of us, we miss the fruitful chapters of our lives because we fail to respond well in the crucial moments after salvation. And when I say after salvation, this all happened to Paul really quickly. But just in case you're like, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, I've been a Christian for decades!" Like, if we're talking about like how we respond right after salvation, like maybe I've missed it. Listen, it's not too late. We all have these crucial moments, all the time, and we'll see it here in just a minute. Like, here's the three crucial moments in Paul's origin story that we find in in, in Acts nine here. He had the moment of change, moment of confusion, and a moment of community. A moment of Change, a moment of confusion, and a moment of community. And I say moment, this word moment could be uh, interchanged with the, the word seasons. Sometimes we experience these moments, but sometimes that moment extends for a while and it becomes a season. And listen, obviously, Acts chapter 9, the most significant part of the story is very, very clear. It's it's Paul's encounter with Jesus, right? Like, that's what the the critical aspect of it. And and friends, let me just tell you, if, if you're here today and you've not had an encounter with Jesus, I mean, few of us have had one maybe quite as dramatic as this, but if you've never had an encounter, if you've never said, yeah, God, I'm yours, Man, there's no, there's no time like the present. God wants to do a work in your heart, and he wants to give you new life and a new purpose and a new direction, new clarity. It's there for you. But the focus of what we're going to look at today is really Saul's response in the crucial moments after he encounters Christ. So, he had this life-changing moment. Now what? Here's the first thing I want to look at. First response that he had. He was steady in confusion. He was steady. Anybody ever been confused before? Anybody? Like any, anyone ever been confused? If you've never been confused, you've never learned anything. Okay? So should I rephrase it? Now does anybody, anybody admit that they've been confused once or twice? Right? Um, listen, listen to what it says. Verse 8. So they led him by the hand for three days. He was blind. This is this is something that that I think missed me the first bunch of times I read this. Like, yeah, Paul got up and he was blind. And then like the next thing you read is Ananias comes and prays for him and he can see again. But three days, imagine like you woke up the next morning and you're still blind, and you're like, Man, I just I just met the risen Savior. And, he, and he, he spoke to me, and, and though we don't see it here, we'll, we'll look at it in a little bit. There, there was a call on Paul's life in that moment. Like, how am I supposed to do? Like, I, I wonder what, what was going on. And day two, like, still nothing. Dependent on, on the people around him. Like, day three, wait goes, and he's like, wow. How long is this gonna last? You ever you ever found yourself in a season of life where you felt like you were just in the dark and you had no idea how long the season was gonna last? It's confusing, isn't it? Like, like like it's hard. And then even after Ananias came and and he he prayed for him and, and opened his eyes, listen, the confusion didn't end there. The the the, the beginning part of, of Paul's journey of Saul's origin story it was just constant confusion. So get this, the guys who came with him, we don't exactly know their response, but the guys who came with him, came with him to arrest Christians, drag them off to jail in Jerusalem. Next thing you know, Paul is preaching in the synagogues that Jesus, that they came to, I don't know what his colleagues thought of this. I'm going to guess probably not favorably. We do know this. Next thing you know in the story, and we'll get into this next week, but he's, he's a wanted man. Like, the people are trying to kill him. The, the, the Jews back in Jerusalem now hate him because they turned on him, they betrayed him. Like, the, 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 the Christians, the people following Jesus, are all afraid of him. So here's Paul. He has this, like, life-changing encounter with God, and then all of a sudden, just pure confusion. It's, it's amazing how often this is a part of our story. Have you... Think about it in your, own, in your own situation. You have an encounter with God. Maybe it's like, maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's a dramatic salvation. Maybe you've been walking with God and yet God showed you new things and you had this moment with God and then you like get up and try to go back into life and it's just like darkness and confusion and chaos. Anybody ever had that? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna ask this like, a, this isn't rhetorical. I wanna see show of hands. How many can say, I, I can think of a specific situation where I can identify clearly with that scenario? Let me see your hand. Okay? This is normal. This is normal. Because confusion means we find ourselves in a place where we've never been before. And it means that we need to make decisions that we've never made before. But this is part of just this, this is don't be shocked by this. This is the normal part of the Christian life but confusion for us is so hard because we love control. But God is constantly, tell me this isn't true. God is constantly leading us to places we've never been. So wouldn't it only make sense that we're confused when we get there? God is constantly leading us into new places that we've never been. So, for us to not have the answers is only a normal part of life. God is constantly leading us into making decisions, decisions we've never made before. But that's what growth is all about. But when we value control to the degree that, like, if as long as an even that word confusion has a negative connotation to it, right? Who made it so that Paul couldn't, Saul couldn't see? God. God will lead you into darkness. I know that darkness has a very evil connotation to it too, so maybe that's not the best word. God will lead you into scenarios where you go blind. Because he's doing something in the blindness and he'll lead you into places where you don't know what to do next because he's teaching you dependence. We as Christians, we tend to get really flustered when we can't see. We tend to get really flustered like, 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 to the point where we think that there's something wrong. I'm doing my faith wrong because I don't know what to do. I'm doing my faith wrong because I don't know where I'm going. I'm doing my faith wrong. There's something is not right. Friends, there's nothing more right than this. God does this to us all the time. So don't be afraid of it. When you walk into a scenario where you have no idea what's going on, then that's when we get to say, all right, God, what are you going to do now? God, how are you going to show up here? I had a chance to pray for a friend here recently. It's a friend from out of town, and and he had this big decision to make, and had to do with his career. He was he was in one place and he loving what he's doing, but there's this potential opportunity to take a, a new job in a new state and a new place and ministry related, and and there was some a peripheral peripheral like reaching out, and it looked pop, like he might get the job, but it hadn't been offered to him yet, and. And as I was praying for him, it reminded me like when I first came here. Like Beth and I were were in youth ministry in Illinois, and and, and life was good, ministry was good, we were we were enjoying it. We didn't need to go anywhere. And um, and then we had this opportunity. Um, Pastor Grady reached out and said, "Hey, is there a chance you'd be interested in in Pastoring Crossroads?" I literally hung up the phone, told Beth, and we laughed about it. We had a really good laugh. <laughs> and then and then shortly thereafter. Uh, we were approached by what I, what I would have probably called at the time a dream job opportunity. And, and so we were in this season where we, we were enjoying ministry where we were, and we had two opportunities, neither of which offered to us, in front of us. That was the worst, the worst, and I didn't handle it well. And, and God allowed me to see something. As I was praying for this friend, God allowed me to see something about my own story that connected with his story. And, it, and that was this. And this is what I just prayed over him. It's that, and in fact, Beth preached this several weeks ago. Move when you're supposed to move and stay when you're supposed to stay. But here's the specific thing is that there's seasons that we go through of darkness, of confusion, of not knowing, of not understanding. And we try to, to make predecisions about things that we can't make decisions about yet. And there's almost nothing that can cause anxiety to that level as in trying to figure out the answer to a question that is not the right season to answer. And so I believe God just instructed me to, to, to share with this friend, in the season of waiting, learn to wait patiently and rest in God so that in the season of decision-making, you can make a good decision. The thing is, so often we miss the clarity and the clarity of the voice of God and the direction of God, and we don't hear his voice because in in the season of resting, we're trying to make decisions, and in the season of decision-making, we're exhausted and confused. So often we try to make decisions that are not ours to make or in seasons that we're not supposed to make them, Paul saw in this situation, in this story, he wasn't supposed to decide what he was going to do with the rest of his life. You know what Ananias found him doing? Fasting and praying. He was resting in God, searching for answers in the place he could find them, not trying to make sense of the chaos that he was living in. So friends, if you find yourself in a dark place, in a in a, in a And again, I said, I don't mean that with like, just in in, in a season of of not seeing clearly, of not understanding clearly, welcome to the Christian life. I'm not saying there's not things that we can know and understand, but listen, there's sometimes you're just like, there's no decision I can make today. So it's time to rest in, in who God is. Maybe I know I've got some decisions to make. Let's pray and fast about that. But not with anxiety, but in a restful place patiently waiting on God to move cuz once he moves then it'll be my time to move. I'm supposed to follow God, not lead God. We get that confused a lot. So here's just a couple trip tips that that will hopefully help you in those seasons of confusion, All right? Tip number 1. You're not in control. You're not in control. Tip number two, you don't know everything. Here's the beauty of it. You're like, those aren't tips. Those are just statements. They are tips. Because if we can actually live that not, we all know those things. None of us think that we're in total control. None of us think that we know everything, but we live like we do. Worse yet, we stress like we do. Okay. Listen, we come under the authority of the one who is in full control and knows all things. So let's just wait till he moves and then follow him. There will be a season for making decisions. There was a season that Saul had to make decisions, but it wasn't today. It was season for prayer and fasting. Number two. So number one, he was steady in confusion. Confusion's going to come. He stayed steady. Number two, he was dependent on community. Listen, Saul was the best there was at what he did. And by what he did, that was like live a perfect holy life. I mean, he nailed it. He was so good at it. And he knew it. I believe one of the reasons that God led him into a season of being blind is because he had to humble him a little bit. He had to be led into Damascus. And then get this. This is really interesting. The risen Christ appears to him and gives him the first part of the instruction but doesn't give him any more than that. Listen to what he says. This is what Jesus says to Paul. Now that I have your attention, okay, go to Damascus, verse 6, and you will be told what you must do. Why didn't, Paul give him the, why didn't God give Paul the rest of the instructions right then and there? Because God loves to use his community to speak into the lives of his people. God could have just said it all right then and there. But God was teaching Paul how to be dependent on the Christian community that he had placed him in. Forget so this. Paul left Jerusalem, traveled to Damascus to arrest, not people like, but specifically Ananias. (laughs) And then God's like, hey, I'm going to do a funny little trick, prank on you here. Okay, you know that guy that you're going to go arrest? I want you to just go wait for three days in the dark, and then I'm going to have this guy who you're going to go arrest and drag like this, like this, Inhuman prisoner into jail. I'm going to have him tell you what you're supposed to do next. You know, there's a, there's a, a verse of scripture in Ephesians chapter five, and it, it comes right before a section on marriage, but it has it has reach way beyond it, and it teaches the church that we are to be to submit ourselves. To one another. I think one of the reasons that many people today struggle with with community, particularly engaging in in like the church community, and by church I mean Christian community, right? Is because because community is 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 this thing that like serves us. And we wouldn't say it that way, right? That we, we wouldn't say it that way, but like I'm looking for a community that meets all my needs. It's another way of saying, serves me. And yet God has designed it to, if we're going to experience the richness of community life as brothers and sisters in Christ, it requires that we learn to submit to community, not soak up community. There's a big difference. And, And in these early moments, these early days of Saul's life, God is beginning to teach Saul, and this is a lesson actually, if you study the life of Paul, that he constantly was learning maybe a little bit more and more and more as his life went on. But here's something that right off the bat, like he had to learn Paul, or God had to teach Paul how to be dependent on the community, how to submit to the community that God put around him. And then I love the words of Ananias. Like he just spoke into this. Ananias, remember what did he say at first? Like God, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You got the wrong guy. I'm not going there. And when God insisted... Ananias shows up, and what's, the, what's the, the phrase, what's the title that he says? Brother Saul. He says, Saul, you're one of us now. Saul, you're family. And listen, sometimes we need other people to call our identity out of us when we're having a hard time seeing it in ourselves. Saul was on his way to arrest the Christians, and hear one of those Christians knocks on his door. What's going through his head? And then that Christian comes and says, brother, Saul, there's power in that. Man, I, I hear people talk from time to time, like, man, it doesn't, like, tension in, in relationship or church, or, and it's not like, ah, this, this community isn't what to, man, it doesn't feel like family. We're not fa- Listen. It doesn't. It doesn't matter whatsoever whether or not you feel like family with other Christians. Like that's like saying like I don't feel like family with my brothers or sisters. Therefore, they're not my family. No, they are. We came from the same parents. We're family. Listen, like, it doesn't matter how you feel about the Christian community. It doesn't matter how you feel about other people who are, who are, who are surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Lord and as, 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 as him, as their father. Listen, we are family. And we are, by God's design, dependent on one another to live the fullness of what Christ intended us to live. And so Paul continued to learn this lesson, right? Next week, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, but like when, when Paul's life, Saul's life was under attack, believers rallied to save his life. He was dependent on the, the community around him. Then all of a sudden, Barnabas comes alongside him and he befri- befriends him and defends him and is a voice for him, disciples him, brings him under his wing. He learns this dependence on Community. Friends, we are dependent on the community that God has placed around us. And in a, in, in a, in a land of independence, we've got to learn that, man, the, the community of Christ is not a, we don't have a, a bill of rights, right? That's not a statement on church and state. That's just like, we gave up those rights when we came into this family. And we are, we're dependent on one another. We need one another. All right, so here's what Paul does. He, he has his experience with Christ. Christ shows up, and wh- how does he respond to the, to the situations, to the, to the moments, those critical moments right after that? He's steady in confusion. He's dependent on community. And here's the last thing. He embraced change. He embraced change change. See, you could look at this story and be like, hey, look at this moment. This moment changed his life forever. But that would be like saying when Bruce Wayne's parents died, it changed his life forever. Well, sure it did, but it didn't didn't make him Batman, okay? Salvation will change your life forever, but it doesn't mean you're going to be walking in the calling that God has given to you. Like God has changed you. I mean, Paul teaches on that quite a bit in the New Testament. You are not who you once were. Once we were in darkness, now we were in light. Once we were in death, now we are in life. Like there is a clear shift, a life-changing moment that took place. But the question is, have you embraced the change that God has brought to your life? So two times, and and we'll get to this in our study of Acts, but two times throughout this story, Paul shares his testimony of this account. So this is actually the first of three times that we find Paul's conversion in Acts, which is also just kind of a side note. Tell your story. Anyway, we also see it in Acts 22. We also see it in Acts 26. And in Acts 26, Uh, Paul elaborates on what God spoke to him right then. So what we see in Acts chapter 9, like Paul's not making up new parts of the story, but as you'll see with a lot of the stories in the Bible, uh, a lot of times we just get like few details on the events. This is one of those. So apparently uh, Christ had a little bit longer conversation with Paul than what we see in chapter 9. So in chapter 26, verse 16, this is also what God speaks to Paul in that day. He says, now get up and stand on your feet. Okay, so we see that right there in our text in chapter 9. But then he fills in after that. Get up and stand on your feet. I have appointed you, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When when God called Saul to salvation, he simultaneously called him to ministry. And in case you think this is a, like just kind of a one-off, um, do you remember when he, Jesus started his ministry and he called guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John who were fishermen? Do you remember what he said? He said, come follow me. Next, I will make you fishers of men. Listen, this goes for every single one of us. And maybe you didn't Maybe it wasn't presented to you like this, and you feel like maybe you just got bait and switched a little bit. But this is the reality of the call to salvation. The call to salvation always accompanies a call to ministry. Because you can't follow Jesus and not be about the thing that is dearest to the heart of Jesus the lost being found. Like, you can't be like, yeah, I live my life for Jesus. Well, Jesus' heart breaks for the lost, and I just receive all the church ministry till I feel good. For one, that will never work because God didn't design it to work. The fullness of life happens when you embrace the fullness of His calling. You see, we want to take like this little piece of the Christian life and then and like hang on to it. And we're we're all wired different. We all have different like things that like really make us tick. And 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 so some of us are like, man, I gotta study the Bible. I gotta study the Bible. And study. If I study the Bible, then I'm gonna be the closest to Jesus. I going to study the Bible. You just give your whole life to study the Bible. Great, study the Bible. We all need more Bible. Some of us are like, it's all about love, man. You just got to love each other. Like if we just learn to love good, like if we just love, you just love and i love and we love and you love and we love and I love and we're just going to be loving together and man, I'm going to be close to Jesus. Otherwise, worship, man, once we get, once we, once we can ascend to the third heaven in our worship services, man, like that's it. Like we just worship. I'm like, no, it's all about prayer. It's all about prayer you got to pray you just pray you just pray and just say close. you just pray you pray for everything and anything and you pray all day long you pray listen i don't mean to make a mockery you should like try all of those they're really good ideas But when we latch on to one component of the kingdom of God and think that the whole of kingdom of God and the whole of the fullness of God is going to be experienced through one aspect or one discipline or or one thing, and we don't put ourselves and, and, and give ourselves to the ministry that God has called us to, friends, we will never find fulfillment, no matter how hard we study the word, no matter how much we love people, no matter how big our worship gets, no matter how faithful our prayer is, if we do not give ourselves to the mission that God has called us to. Now, listen, I know some of you are like introverts and you're like terrified of this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but, 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 but. Okay, listen, God has not called everyone to be a traveling evangelist to go to unreached people groups. I mean, he's called some of us in this room to that very thing. But not all of us. And so we, we, we hear that and we're like, whew, I'm off the hook. Let me go back to praying. No, he's called every single one of us to be unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Maybe you're in a season of life, you're like, ah, I have three babies in my house and I'm a stay at home mom and I don't talk to another human all day long. How am I supposed to like evangelize? Listen, you be faithful with what God's put in your plate right now and you be open to how He just might use you. Keep your eye open. It doesn't mean you're gonna talk to somebody every single day about Jesus, but you be ready. You live ready. See, what it means for you to follow Jesus what it means for you to respond to the call, what it means for you to embrace this change. when, when I say embrace this change, Paul was living for himself. He had his agenda, and it sure had this religious theme to it, but Paul was living to, to, to be the best. Paul was called by God to let go of it all and embrace kingdom priorities. Here's another thing that we get confused. Here's another thing we get confused is that you think that, man, I was a a passionate person and God has called me to be this nice, clean Christian and I'm gonna exchange my passion for passivity. Glory to God. Read what Paul writes and the story of Paul. I mean, he was a great dude, but he's still a work in progress. And not now. He was then, okay. But God doesn't want you to lay down your passion so you could be a a, a nice passive Christian. He wants to repurpose your passion for kingdom agenda. And for some, for some, he's called us to build up the church. For some, he's called to be the support of those who are going to the unreached places. For nearly all of us, he's called us to be unashamed of the gospel. Not nearly, for all of us. Well, listen to what it says in verse 20. But I'll back up to verse 19. So Ananias had come, so that after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus at Once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God at once. Listen, God did not save you so that you could like figure out how to be a good Christian and then someday wait for this extra calling to go like talk about him to people. If you are walking with Jesus today, you have a call to share that faith with the people around you. And that's going to look like as many different ways as there are people in this room. God is not a cookie cutter God. He doesn't want every single person to go speak about him the exact same way. He wants you, just like Paul did here and throughout this letter, he talks about his story for the kingdom of God. He embraced the change. He no longer lived for his, his pursuits. He laid it all down so that he can live for what God desires. This is Paul's origin story. He had an encounter with God. Friends, if you are, you are a Christian, we've got the same starting point. But the thing that made the difference is what he did in those critical moments after salvation. He was steady in confusion. He was dependent on community. He embraced the change. I said at the beginning of this, some of us, we, we live and die in Acts 9. Maybe you're still in the middle of your origin story. Maybe you got saved 30 years ago. But you've never embraced the life of significance. And I'm not, I'm not, where this isn't like self-help and pep yourself up. And I'm just, my my life has value. And No, your life has value because you were made in the image of God. Okay. But some of us just settle. Some of us just Settle. God has called you to make an impact on your world. God wants to use you to reach your workplace. You have neighbors who live in proximity to you who will die and go to hell if someone doesn't share with them the reality of who Christ is and what he, how much he loves them. wants to use you. This is not just a story of Saul's salvation. This is a story of Saul's call. This is the story of the beginning of the rest of his life. He had to weather some of the storm and stay steady. He had to He had to be dependent and submit himself to community. He had to embrace the change and step into the change that God was bringing. Are you ready? Are you ready? How are you handling these moments, these seasons of life? Let's not be passive. Let's not settle any longer. Father God, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who is still at work. And Father, we come to you as a community and we confess so much of our apathy. God, so much of our our self-motivated, self-centered agenda of church life. God, there's a world out there without you. There's a world out there that's that's, that's on the fast track to hell. God, there's a world out there who's just simply missing out on the love and the peace, the grace and the comfort of your love. God, we're not all called to do what Paul did. But we're called to live boldly where you've placed us. Father, I pray for some who are in here today who are going through that season of like of blindness, who are frustrated because of it, who are aggravated because of it, who are who are dejected because of it. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be steady in confusion. Not needing answers today, but trusting that you're in control and that you know all things. God, for those who are pushing back on community, thinking I can do this on my own, I got this, teach us to be dependent on you. Teach us to lean in not just to you, we know we need you, but lean into the community you've placed us in, the family of God, that we will be able to hear the words of another brother or sister in Christ, brother Saul. May we submit ourselves to that. May we be dependent on that. And God, may we embrace the change that you've called us to. The change of not living for myself, but dying to myself, putting your agenda First in all things. Whatever that looks like in our lives. God, we're yours. We are all yours. So God, we thank you. We praise you for what you're doing. God, that you're not done with us yet. Maybe our story, maybe our origin story started 50 years ago. And we've just been circling these things. God, may we get up today different. As we pursue, we step into who you are calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.